or Hebrews 11. Uh, a, a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, I was asked to speak at a men's retreat uh, south of Temecula. And, and so I spent some time in Jeremiah chapter 17, where it just simply says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And that is, a, that is an over-occurring theme, reoccurring theme throughout Scripture. Blessed is the person who trusts in God, you'll find in most every book of the Bible in one way or another. It is a theme of Scripture. I was struck in that passage by, and that's found in verse 7, uh, the bookends around it. In verse 5, it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. <laughs> uh, and then verse 9, a verse that many of us have heard, says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so as I looked at that passage, the bookends really magnified the importance of verse 7. Verse 5 says basically if you push your man in trust, if you put your trust in men, uh, you're cursed. That's a pretty strong word. And, and what it teaches me as a follower of Christ is that when I put my trust in another man or man's ways, God finds that kind of offensive. That bothers him. When I say to God, well, I think this person knows more about this area than you do, I'll follow their way, God doesn't take that real well. So that was an interesting bookend. The second bookend was the foolishness of following one's heart. It says the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. And so the world says, follow your heart. The Bible says, why would you do anything like that? Why would anybody follow their heart? The heart's desperately wicked. It can tell you the truth at 901 and lie to you at 902. Amen? You ever met someone in do not nudge, and I don't want names, who just always lied? They just always lied. Even when there's no reason to lie, they lie. Well, that's our heart. It will lie to us when there's no reason and deceive us when there's no reason. And, and so Jeremiah says, you're, you're foolish to trust in man and you're not wise to trust in yourself. So blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Just a real simple lesson in Jeremiah 17. Well, when it comes to trusting God, probably the hallmark verse of the Bible is Hebrews 11, 6. You've probably heard of it. You've probably heard primarily of the first part. Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith, that's about trusting God, it is impossible to please Him. Now, we've probably all heard that part time and time again. The rest of the verse is equally important. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11, if you know your Bible, is called the Hall of Faith. All these stories of men and women of faith, regular people who exercise remarkable faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us God's definition of faith. In the New King James, it says it's the substance of things hoped for. In the NLT, it's the confidence. NIV, the being sure. ESV, the assurance. You get the idea. And the evidence of things not seen. And just to remind you here that when the Bible talks about Hope, it differs than what we normally say. I always say that hope so in the Bible is no so hope, no, no so hope, not hope so hope. <laughs> so the hope of heaven is I know I'm going to heaven, not just I hope I get there, I know I am because of Jesus Christ and his shed blood for me. So biblical hope is no so hope. Got it? 
And that's what Hebrews 11 are, is, is speaking to. But Hebrews 11.6 really builds the foundation for Hebrews 11.1 functions. And it's really a, a, a verse I call some non-absolutes with God. There's just a few things when God says, these are non-negotiable. These are absolutes. These have to be end of conversation. Anybody a parent? And you said to your kid, that's it. Amen? I'm done talking. I'm done negotiating. I'm good. done. That's Hebrews 11.6 with God. There are some strong words in Hebrews 11.6 that are for edification and are encouraging. Example. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The word impossible is a very unique Greek word. It comes from two unique Greek words. The first word means not, and the second word means possible. <laughs> it's just impossible. It is not possible to please God without faith. In other passages in the Bible, like Romans 15 and others, we learn that every area of my life must have a component or measure of faith. If there's an area of my life that does not have a measure or component of faith, that area is being lived in disobedience to God. So every area of my life must have a component of faith because faith is absolutely mandatory if I'm going to please God. And God says you cannot negotiate your way out of it, you cannot serve your way out of it, you cannot bargain your way out of it. God says I'm going to demand faith in your life and every area in some capacity. That's pretty straightforward. That, that is rather, uh, that's how it's going to be from God. And when you're God, you can be that way. It's the rest of the verse that oftentimes we neglect. And it's equally important. Because the next word that's important is the word must. He that comes to God must. And when God says you must, it means you must. <laughs> it's, it's that non-negotiable thing. It's that I'm not going to move. I'm not going to bargain with you. God says you must have faith. And these that teach us in the rest of this verse that there are two pillars that biblical faith is founded upon. And I better have those two pillars down in my heart or the faith I express will not be honored or recognized by God. Here's what he says. You must believe that God is. Well, my mind says, God is what? God is existent? No, it's more than that. A lot of people believe that God exists. They don't necessarily have faith. They don't even necessarily say it's not just the belief that God is, that He exists. The New Testament makes the observation that even the demons believe and tremble. They, they know that God is. So it's not simply, you must believe that God exists. That's shallow. That's, that's not the faith we drive for that is honored throughout Scripture. I believe what is teaching 
is I must believe that God is everything he claims to be in his word. That he is everything he claims to be in his word. I must believe that. Not just be aware of it. I must believe it in my heart. I must believe that God's everything he claims to be. If I'm going to exercise a faith that pleases him. And I must believe it in what the Bible calls my heart. Now Proverbs 4.23 describes our heart in the following way. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for from, from your heart springs the issues of life, are the priorities of life, or what matters most to you is what the Bible calls your heart. And I must believe that God is in my heart. It is about knowing and accepting and being convinced of the character of God. And that is easier said than done. The Bible says that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is love, that God is gracious, that God is merciful, that God is just, that God is sovereign, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-present, He is all-powerful, He is holy, He is unchanging, He is jealous over us. And that list is not complete. So here's what Hebrews says. I must believe those things about God. I must be convinced that God is truly that way. When I teach classes, I teach called a lesson called Belief versus Conviction. I say belief is what you've been taught about God. A conviction is what you've gone to God's Word, and God's Spirit has shown you that it is true. It's a conviction in your heart. And you will not live and you will not die for belief, but you will live and you will die for conviction. And this is a conviction in my heart that God is good, that God is just, that God is gracious, that God is merciful, even when at the moment He doesn't appear to be that way. But I believe in the character of God. I believe He's everything in the Word He claims to be. That's what this verse is talking about. Well, here is the question. How do you get to know the character of God to where the character of God is imprinted on your heart, and it's not just here, it's here. How do you get to know God? Just like you do with anybody else. You spend a lot of time with Him. You go through the day with Him. You go through the seasons of life with Him. You go through the hills and the valleys with Him. That, that's how you get to know God. One of, my, one of the people in the Bible that, that I found intriguing was a man named Abraham. And what I found intriguing about him is that he was called a friend of God. And he was called that by God. That's pretty impressive. It's one thing if you call yourself God's friend, nothing if God calls you his friend. I remember thinking, I'm going to find out. I'm going to go and study his life and find out what it was that allowed God to view him as a friend in his life. And what I learned was surprising, but not. I'll give an example. God, how did Abraham get to know you? How did Abraham become such a friend of yours? Here's what God showed me. In Genesis 16, 16, it says Abraham was 86 years old. The next verse in the Bible says that when he was 99, and God said that was it. What? Because between verses, 13 years passed in Abraham's life. Between verses. 
That's a decade and a third. And what I thought God was saying, that's how we became friends. He just got up, spent time with me, went through the day with me. We talked before he went to bed. He got up the next day, went through the day with me. And somewhere in going through each day with me, I revealed myself to him in a very real way. That's how you get to know anyone. You just go through life with them. You spend the day with them. You go through the hills and the valleys with them. The seasons of life with them. Growing up, my best friend was named Kent. We spent hours doing nothing but doing it together. <laughs> right? You had a friend like that. I have a friend now named Claudio. We, we spend hours fishing or doing things together and sometimes just driving to get to know each other. The most amazing person in my life is my wife, Brenda. We've been married 37 years. We've known each other for 40. I know her pretty well. I, I know what makes her tick. I know what makes her tick. I mean, I know her pretty well. <laughs> the same is true with God. It would be easier if knowing God came by knowing the facts about God. Or if you could do an eight-week study in someone's house. But that's too great a gift for such a cheap price. Here's what God says to us. Here's what God says to you. I want to reveal myself to you. I want to show you what I'm like. I want to show you in a personal way who I am and what my character is like. I want to show that to you in a very personal way that it impacts you at your deepest level. But God says a gift that great doesn't come cheaply. You got to spend some time with me, God says. You got to get to know me. You got to go through life with me. You got to spend daily time in my word and talk to me throughout the day. God says, let me just spend each day with you <laughs> in time. You'll be amazed at what I show you in your heart and prove to you and reveal to you what I am truly like. Hebrews says that is absolutely mandatory. That who comes to God must believe that God is. He must believe in the recesses of his heart. He must truly be convinced of the character and the qualities of God. And we'll talk about why in just a couple of moments. It goes back to the basics. It always does. Daily time in God's Word, prayer, walking with God throughout the day, under the teaching ministry of a godly pastor, support from others who are committed to the same cause. It's just the basics time and time again. But somewhere in that, God reveals Himself to me at a very real in a very personal love. That's the first must. Here's the second must. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here's the second must. You ready? I must believe that in life his ways work best. I must believe in life that whether it's business or friendship or parenting or, or how to be a good friend or a, a good church member or a good pastor or whatever, I must believe in life that God's ways work best. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, the word diligently, 
clues us in that God's timing and our timing will never be the same. Amen? God always works slower than I would like for him to. He said when it comes to convicting me, he's really good at that one. Going to diligently seek him. That could be life overall or a specific situation. It's when God takes his own sweet time. Our God moves in a way that we were not expecting. It's during those times I find how much I trust his character. If I truly believe that in life, his ways work best. Or if I take matters into my own hands. Because listen to me. You will not diligently seek God, and neither will I. If I'm not convinced his ways in life work best. I may seek him for a while. I may seek him temporarily. I may seek him for a season. But I will not seek God diligently if I'm not convinced in my heart that God's ways are the best ways in life. And I must believe that God's ways work best. I've also learned that when a person believes that, when they really believe that God's ways work best in life, they don't need a lot of extra explanation from God before they obey Him. Some believers are like, God, I know what you want, but can I have some more information? I don't think God appreciates that. Because what I'm saying when I say to God, well, yeah, I see what you want. I need some more explanation from you before I do that. What I'm saying he says, I do not believe in your character. I'm not convinced in this situation, your way is the best way. And um, I don't think God appreciates when I communicate that to him. So I must believe that whatever area in life it is that I'm dealing with, that God's ways are the best ways in life. My wife and I have said to our five daughters and one son on many occasions, with God, it just works out. I don't know how. I don't know why. I'm telling you, with God, it just always works out. And at this point, I've just given up caring on the why. I just know it does. It does. Just when you serve God, somehow it always works out. Two absolutes, really three. I must have faith to please God. The faith that God is looking for in my life believes that He is. It, it, it believes that He is everything He claims to be in His Word. And number two, for my faith to be mature and full-grown, it must believe that His ways are the best ways in life. Why? Here's why. Because God doesn't do life like we do life. Amen? <laughs> Remember Isaiah? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are not your ways. My thoughts. Let me translate that for you. God says, I don't do life like you. <laughs> I don't approach life like you. I don't long-range plan like you do. God says, you and I are just going to approach life really differently because my thoughts are much higher than your thoughts. My ways are much higher than your ways. For a long time in my Christian faith, 
Here's my attitude. God, you would do life the way I would do it. You just do it perfectly. God says, Daryl, that is so shallow. I don't do life like you. I don't think like you. I don't plan like you. But because God doesn't do life the way I would do life, it makes his faith mandatory. He does things differently. His name was Abraham. God said, Abraham, son, you're going to be the father of a multitude of people. Oh, by the way, your wife is barren. And that reminds me that Mother's Day is really good for some ladies and really hard on others. And his wife would understand that second part as she found herself barren. I wonder if around year eight, Abraham's like, you know, God, it's not what I was thinking. You made this promise, and man, it's been eight years. This wasn't my expectation. I, I thought right away she would be with child. I wonder if at year 20, he thought, God, did I really hear you clearly? Did you really tell me that 20 years ago? It's been two decades. And when you said that to me, I didn't think 20 years later I would be waiting for a child. My ways are not your ways. His name was Moses. God says, Moses, you're going to deliver my people Israel. But before you do, I'm going to take you to the desert for four decades. Four decades. Do you think maybe year 22 in the desert, Moses thought, man, this... Not what I was expecting. <laughs> you know, when, when God told me I'd deliver the Israelites, I wasn't thinking 22 years on the backside of the desert. I mean, think of desert, or what do we call it? A desert out, outside of, think of the outskirts of Mojave. <laughs> okay? I mean, he's on the backside. I've been on the front side of the desert. It's not all that nice. He's on the backside of the desert. Do you think maybe you're 35? It's like, God, I, I don't think I heard you call. Death Valley, that was it. Thank you. Now your memory works. Wonderful. <laughs> when mine fell together, we got this down. <laughs> God, I don't know if I heard you. M maybe you're not just. Maybe you don't always tell. My favorite's David. Walks into his dad's house. The prophet Samuel pours, pours oil over his head. You're the new king of Israel. I wonder at that moment with the oil dripping down his garments what David's expectation was. I guess it was, get the chariot, this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm the new king, this is awesome. I'm going to be in charge of everybody. I would imagine his expectation was, I am done being a shepherd. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm going to be the king. But a few hours later, he's back out with the sheep. <laughs> the sheep are like, wow, he really smells good. <laughs> I mean, 
And then Saul pursues him for years. There's this bizarre scene of of Saul chasing David around the mountain, trying to take his life. I wonder if David thought, what a strange way to install a king. (laughs) Well, I tell you, God, when that oil was pouring down my head, this wasn't my expectation. I didn't think I'd be running for my life from a madman named Saul. My way are not your ways. And my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. And God says, because you and I do life so differently, you better get to know me. You'd better let me reveal my character to you. Because while I am good, there's times I'll work in ways that to you, doesn't appear to be good. There's times I'm going to do things, and yes, I'm just, but you'll wonder when I do them, God, are you really just? And you better get to know my character, he says to me, because my ways will oftentimes initially confuse you. And secondly, God says to his people, you had better believe that my ways work best in Because if you don't, he says to us, you'll not diligently seek me and you'll never experience the reward of diligently seeking me. I pastored for years. There's a few people that I pastored who allowed God to always start things in their life but never finish. Here's the downside of that. Whenever God starts to work in our life, there's almost always initially chaos. Rarely does God start to work in our life that chaos is not part of the initial ingredient. But if I allow God to start but never finish, then my spiritual life is one of perpetual chaos. And I sour on God. And I get wrong perceptions of God. Because I never diligently seek. And so I'm experiencing the chaos, but I never experience the reward. But if I don't believe that God's ways in life are best, I will not diligently seek. It is a serious passage. (laughs) Because God wants us to experience the reward. God wants to reveal himself to us personally. He paid the ultimate price to reveal himself to us personally. It's an honor that God wants to reveal himself to us personally. So it's not a passage driven by do it or else. It's do it because. Because God wants to show us what he's like. And God wants us to experience the rewards of diligently seeking him. It's a passage, however, that's (laughs) non-negotiable. Amen? So here's some questions before we pray. Do you know the character of God? It's just an obvious question. You might have to say to God this morning, I've been kind of unfair towards you. I give you token time. 
but I expect maximum return. I'm occasionally in your house. I'm occasionally in your word. I occasionally speak to you during the day. I give you minimal time, but I expect maximum return. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Getting to know you is far too great a prize to come cheaply. And I'm willing to put forth the effort because I want to know you. Not just here, but here. I want you to reveal to me at the deepest level who I am, what you are really like and who you are. That sounds good to me. And so I'm willing to quit treating you like a cosmic beggar and treat you like the amazing king that you are because I really do want to know you. And I'm willing to make the effort on my part knowing that you'll do yours. Or you may have to say to God this morning, I don't really diligently seek you. I have a problem, and I give you a certain amount of time, and I kind of put you on probation. And if you don't come through in a certain amount of time, well, I kind of take matters in my own hands, kind of do it my own way. I look for other solutions or other answers. I seek you, but I don't diligently seek you. And God, I'm done putting you on probation. <laughs> I'm going to seek you because I really do believe, I really do believe that you know more about life than I do and that your ways are best. Let's bow our heads. And I believe I'm going to close us in prayer. Is that correct? Nope, we're going to sing. Okay, so we're going to, this is the joy of being in a different church every Sunday. <laughs> So we're going to pray, and then after I pray, we're going to close out in a song. During the prayer and during the song, we encourage you to respond to God. Father, we prayed, including myself, about 35 minutes ago, that you would speak to us personally through your word. Not because I'm a great speaker, but because you are a faithful God. That's a prayer you always honor. Father, now that you've done that for us, and each one individually, may we respond to you in obedience and trust. May our response to your word be that which gives you the greatest glory and joy this morning. Help us to get to know you and to trust you and experience the rewards of knowing you and experience the rewards when you work things out in our lives for you. We love you, Father. We thank you. And we certainly praise you in Christ's name.